First Corinthians chapter one. And while we're turning there, um, just a thought. I was thinking when I was we were singing the song, "Hallelujah, what a Savior!" You know, when I was a kid. And I used to go to church, he used to talk about Jesus dying on the cross. I went there, they had a big statue of Jesus on the cross, huge thing. And they talked about it, and, you know, they talked about it, they really concentrated on it on Good Friday and around Easter time and all that. And I used to think to myself, well, that's very nice. Jesus died for me. But, <clears throat> but what does that mean for me? If he died for our sins, well, that's great. But I didn't have any understanding about, you know, practically, what does that mean for me beyond that message? You know, how does that message apply to me? And the discovery over the, as a, when I was a man, God began to reveal the truth of the gospel that it was the blood meant freedom. The blood of Jesus meant freedom, forgiveness, acceptance with God, and I could enter a relationship with him based on the blood of Jesus. The shadow of that was in the Old Testament. The Passover lamb, the death angel, if he saw the blood on the doorposts, he would, death would pass over. Judgment would pass over. And we see that the priest would offer blood for the sins of the people. The blood of bulls and goats and, and sheep and lambs. All this different blood that was offered as a temporary covering, as is told, as we're told. Until the time of God's choosing, sending His own Son. And the blood of Jesus, Son of God, cleanses from all sin. And we can enter a relationship with Him because of that. With the Father. With God. You know, sometimes I see pictures of telescope pictures. And the telescopes are getting better and better. And they show the Milky Way galaxy. It's astonishing. And they show other galaxies. Hey, we discovered other galaxies we didn't even know existed. And the, as the telescopes get more powerful, they discover more and more. This universe is unspeakably tremendous. It's awesome. It's incredible. Somebody created all this. Anybody who says all these these stars, these suns, these planets, and these all these things are just sitting on air by themselves, no. Sorry, you're wrong. There is a God. And this creator, this God, reached out to us. And he's concerned with us. This creator of the universe is concerned with us. And he sent his son for us. And we were not cleansed by the blood of bulls and goats and lambs. We were cleansed by the blood of his son. Cleansed by the blood. If you haven't been cleansed by the blood... The, the offer is there for us to be cleansed. Well, what do I need that for? To have peace with God, this Creator. To have peace between us and Him. 
says that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through the blood. <clears throat> Just like the Passover lamb, when I see the blood, I will let I will cause judgment, death to pass over. In the book of Hebrews it says, Jesus, our Passover has been sacrificed for us. There's a direct connection. The blood of Jesus, Son of God, cleanses from all sin. If we are bound to sin, we're not a Christian. We're bound in sin. We say, well, what is, sin is rebellion against God. So I'm not that bad of a person. Well, we may not be that bad of a person in our eyes. But human nature is naturally corrupt. If you don't believe that, look at human history. The history of man. Listen to the news, today's history. There's murder and every kind of vice and immorality and corruption of every kind. Corruption in government. Corruption in the world we live in. Corruption in business. Every kind of corruption you can imagine. So that's just bad people. No, we all have the potential. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And God has laid all that corruption upon His Son. And through the blood of Jesus, we can be forgiven. Through the blood of Jesus, as we, after we enter this relationship with Him, we have the liberty, freedom. He gives us His Spirit, and we have freedom. And we, have, we can overcome every temptation. We can overcome every sin. We can overcome every fear. We can overcome every anxiety through the blood. We look to the blood of Jesus, Son of God, as our freedom and our liberty, and our hope and our help. Because all those things come through the blood. The blood of Jesus, Son of God. We have liberty. We have freedom. We have help. We have hope. And all the great promises of God, the door is swung open through the blood of Jesus. Through faith in that blood. Believe, we put our faith in the blood of Jesus and nothing else. First Corinthians chapter 1. Beginning in verse 2. Paul's writing here to the church of Corinth, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified, or set apart, in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of, the, of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you are enriched in everything by him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. So you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ who also will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God is faithful by whom you are called into fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I plead with you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same things 
and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brothers, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, I am Apollos, I am of Peter, Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Division in the, in the church of Corinth. And there is division in many of the churches, even in the very beginning of them. And Paul confronts it here. But there are no doubt that these are believers. These are Christians who have been sanctified by the Spirit. We just read that. So, well, if that's the truth, then what's the problem? Why is there all this division? Why is there this contention and this strife? What's wrong here? What's wrong with this picture? And the church of Corinth is one of many that you see uh, uh, something wrong with the picture. (laughs) Several of the churches that are addressed in the book of Revelation by letters from Jesus sent, he gives to John to send. There's problems, there's division these churches. We talk about the early church. Yes, the early church had problems too. And very serious problems in some of those churches. Well, what's the problem? I and mean, it says right here, he's addressing the church of God, sanctified. It says, uh, called to, sanctified in Christ Jesus. It says, the grace of God which is given to you by Jesus Christ, in verse 4. You're enriched in everything by Him. Speech and knowledge. The testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Yes, these are real Christians. Short and no spiritual gift. Okay. So there's all this spiritual good stuff that's going on. So then why is there this division? What hap- what's happening here? And that's what we're going to look at today. In chapter 3, in verse 1, we begin to understand the nature of the problem. And I, brothers, could not speak to you as to spiritual, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you're not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are, for there are, where there are strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like men? For one says, "I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos." Aren't you being carnal? <clears throat> I remember as a young Christian saying, "You know, having debates with other Christians." Oh, I listen to this preacher, and I read this preacher's books, and and I, you know, I like this pastor, and oh, well, this pastor is this way, and carnality. Who's carnality? The flesh. We're carnally minded in these areas. 
And he says, Paul says, you're not spiritual, you're carnal. That's the problem. He says, you're still on milk because you have not grown. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, desire the pure milk of the word that you might grow by it. A desire to grow by the milk of the word. And then when you've grown, you can move on to maturity. To grow up as a Christian. You see that there can be a satisfaction like in this church to be have the divisions to strive with one another say so, well what's wrong here and everything but not ever get it but just still continue on the merry-go-round of carnality and that's what we have to ask ourselves today spiritual or carnal say so, well I'm a Christian and the spirit of God is living well then so are they these were people that were converted too says that in chapter 1. We read that. We just heard that. But then Paul says, you know, you're living in the Spirit, but you're not spiritually minded. And that's why there's not peace among you. That's why there's strife and contention among you. And that's why there's problems that develop within us as Christians. Not just in churches. I mean, this is a prime example of how this happens. But it can happen in marriage. It can happen in family. It can happen in communities. It can happen in workplace. It can happen in our relationship with unbelievers. Many unbelievers look at us and say, well, what's wrong with these people? They know enough about the Bible to say, we're not doing what the Bible's saying in this area or that area. They know that much. Well, we have to examine ourselves. And we have to look at ourselves every day before God. Spiritual or carnal? Am I being spiritual or am I being carnal? Am I thinking spiritually or am I thinking carnally? The Bible tells us to bring every thought captive to obeying Christ. To be spiritually minded. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. It breathes life into our life. It brings peace into our hearts to be spiritually minded. But you can see there's not peace among these brethren here. And look at what they're, such childish things they're arguing about. I'm a Paul, so it should be this way. Well, I'm a Paul, it should be that way. Well, I'm of Christ. I, I, I walk with Jesus when he was there. So it should, be my, it should be the way I see it. There are some in Christendom who look back at the church fathers, the early church brethren who were after the time of the apostles. And they'll say stuff like, well, this guy was a disciple of John, and this is what he said. There's a lot of that going on, especially in some of the traditional churches. And so they gravitate to that because this guy was a disciple of John the Apostle or this guy was a disciple of, you know, this Apostle. And so they should have known and this is what they wrote. 
You gotta stop. Desire the milk of the word. <clears throat> for you still for you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, aren't you carnal? Behaving like men. So well why shouldn't we behave like men? We are men, aren't we? No, it says Natural man does not understand the things of God. God reveals things to us by His Spirit. We're not just men. As many as receive Him, to them does He become, give the power to become the sons and daughters of God, the children of God. So we should be behaving that way. We should be thinking like the children of God and not like mere men, not just natural reasoning and thinking and logic. It will lead us astray every day. I could not speak to you as to spiritual, but as to carnal. I couldn't give you the deep things of God. I couldn't give you you know, the strong, the, the meat of God's word. Why? He says, because you're still carnal. What do you mean you're still carnal? Carnally minded. Not spiritual. Haven't grown. He says, as to babes in Christ. And this is a confrontation with a church that was not short in any spiritual gift. They had been sanctified by the Spirit of God. But there's something wrong. And that's the thing that can be wrong in all of us. We see it in us at time at different times. Maybe we see it in our life every day. I don't know. We have to examine ourselves. I see the potential in it for me every day. To be carnal. We all do. But the question is, where are we? Spiritual or carnal? Paul said, these are converted, these are Christians, but you're not spiritual. You're carnal. You're still listening to the flesh. You're still thinking according to the flesh in this area, this area, this area, this area. When Jesus says that he calls us to forsake all, you know, as we grow as a Christian, we see... There's things that we have to forsake that we didn't realize. I mean, if we knew about all at once, it would probably, you know, overwhelm us. And sometimes it does as we see it. In chapter 4... Of 1 Corinthians in verse 5, it says this, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one shall praise shall come from God. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, 
that none of you may be puffed up one on behalf of against the other. Again, confronting this carnality in a very reasonable and practical way. Don't go beyond what the Word of God says. Not to think beyond what is written. What the Word of God says is where our focus should be. The problem comes in, as Paul points out here, is when we go beyond that. When we think beyond that. And you see the pride of being puffed up against one another. Human nature in the church. The flesh. Carnal. Not, cont- not putting, mortifying the flesh in some areas of our life. And it's not just in the church. It's in every, it can affect every area of life. The example is laid out here, but it's not just in churches. It's in families. It's in our lives if we let it, if we don't put it to death. We put it to death by the Holy Spirit, enabled through faith in the blood of Jesus. In chapter 9, in verse 24, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is tempered or self-controlled in all things. Now they that do it obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable. Therefore I run this way, not with uncertainty, and thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should be disqualified or become a castaway. Bringing self-control to our bodies and making it our servant. Not being carnal. Not allowing our bodies and our minds to do what they do, just whatever they want. But to bring it into subjection to Christ. Our thoughts and our bodies into subjection to Christ. In chapter 10, it says in verse 21, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. You can't ride the fence between the flesh and the spirit. We try to make both happy. Satisfy the flesh and satisfy the Spirit of God. It doesn't work that way. We, being spiritual and carnal is a man who is unstable in all of his ways. He's double-minded. He's walking in two different directions at the same time. That's instability. <coughs> Instability. 
2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 20 2 Corinthians 12:20 For I fear lest when I come I shall not find you as I wish and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish, lest there be contention, jealousy, outbursts of anger, wrath, selfish ambitions, backbiting, whisperings, conceit, tumults. Lest when I come again, My God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of their uncleanness, their immorality, their lewdness, which they have practiced. What what is Paul saying here? He's saying there's people in this church who are professing Christ who are unrepentant, for walking in the flesh. And he says, God's going to, he says, when I come, God is going to show me where you are at. And he says, I fear, lest you guys aren't, that lest some of you aren't walking right. I'm going to find you in ways I wish I wouldn't find you. And again, this is the accountability that the apostle brings, but it brings an accountability to us from the Word of God. Are we walking as we should? Are we walking the way God has called us to walk? Or is there a lot of arguing and fighting? Not, we're not talking about just in fellowship. I'm talking about in general. How are we living, not just here, but everywhere? Outside of here, at the job the workplace, in the neighborhood, in the store. When we're at family gatherings, you name it, how are we living? Are we living like we should? We read this this same um, uh, theme in chapter 5 of Hebrews. Beginning in verse 7, he's speaking of Christ here, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear or reverent submission, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. 
called by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For by this, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the very first uh, oracles or <clears throat> of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the work of righteousness. For he's a baby. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age or mature, that is, those who by reason of use or practice have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Well, that's a real mouthful, isn't it? He said a lot there. And there's a lot to take in there. But if we carefully look at it, we get some things out of this. And it becomes more practical. Number one, he's talking about Jesus and all that Jesus did. He says, but he says, there's a lot to say about this, about Jesus and his life and what he did. He says that it's hard to explain since you are dull of hearing. This can happen to the Christian over the course of time. You hear the Word of God over and over and over again. Some from the time they were a little child. You know, you hear the Word of God. You go up here and you hear it. And yeah, you follow it to some degree. But you know what? There's a dullness there. We've been a Christian for a long time. And over the long period of time, yeah, you hear it all and you know it all. And you, yeah, I've heard that before. And yeah, that, and it becomes old and dry. And there's something wrong. And this is what Paul, or whoever wrote Hebrews, is confronting here. He says, you've been Christians long enough, you ought to be teachers of the Word, and now you need someone to tell you again the foundational teachings of the Word of God, the basic foundational teachings of the Word of God. And they're mentioned in the next chapter. But before we go on to that, the dullness of hearing. Jesus confronted his own disciples that were following him for three years. He says, are you dull of hearing? He asked them that. Are you hard of hearing? Are you dull of hearing? He asked his own disciples who were following him around. Jesus was with them physically. They're seeing miracles. How in the world could they become dull of hearing? But it can happen to the best of us. It's happened to me. It's happened to you. It's happened to anybody in Christ at some point. Maybe we're there right now. Are we dull of hearing the Word of God? Have we grown a little skin, a little callous? A little dull? What's the opposite of dull? Sharp. So the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. But is, is the Word of God sharp in us? Or we become hard towards it? Does there become a little hardness of heart? The Bible talks about becoming, uh, our hearts becoming hard through sin's deceitfulness, walking in the flesh. That's what happened to the Corinthian church. So talking to people he's confronting here. They're dull of hearing. 
They're hard in their hearts. He's confirmed saying, you've been a Christian for a long time. You should be a preacher. You should be a preacher of the Word of God. And here I am confronting you about the very basic principles of the Word of God. They haven't grown. Or they've gone backwards. Can that happen to somebody? Sure can. All we need to do is to start hardening our hearts. So I'm not hardening my heart, am I? can happen very deceitfully. Hardening our hearts in truths of the Word of God. And he says, everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the Word of Righteousness, for he's only a baby. But listen to who a mature person is. He says, but, the, but solid food belongs, verse 14, to those who are of full age or mature. What is, how does somebody become mature? It says, that is, those who by reason, reason of practicing the Word of God, by reason of use, <clears throat> have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. Our spiritual sense is sharpened by putting the Word of God to use, by embracing the Word of God and put it to practice in our life. <clears throat> Not just to hear of the Word of God, but putting it into practice in our life. Desiring the Word of God, milk of God's Word that causes us to grow. And then after we grow through the milk, then we, then we partake of the meat of the Word of God. And we grow it more, and we grow more until we are discerned. It says, we are full age, we have matured. Having our senses practiced, exercised, to discern good and evil. Right and wrong, we begin to, we begin to become a discerner of good and evil, right and wrong. And we grow in that. We become mature. What are some of those elementary principles that Paul was, or the writer of Hebrews was talking about here? <clears throat> Chapter 6 and verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation. Here it is. Repentance from dead works. Faith in God. Doctrines of baptism. Laying on the hands. Resurrection of the dead. And eternal judgment. That's the foundation. <laughs> Repentance from dead works. These people were struggling in that. They, weren't, they haven't grown to the point where they were confronting this and exercised in this. They didn't have maturity in the foundational teachings, so they couldn't move on to maturity. They couldn't go on to the meat of God's Word. And what does that look like when brethren are like that? What Paul said, it's carnality. There's carnality in the church of God. And why did Paul say it was? They weren't spiritually minded. They weren't spiritual. They hadn't grown to maturity. This is a call to maturity from the Apostle. Not just to this church, but to every church. 
Let us move on to maturity, it says here. Let us move on to maturity. Let us go on to perfection. Let us move on to maturity. Do we hear that call in our life? The spiritual call to move on to maturity. To be spiritual. Not to be satisfied with where we are. But to embrace this message. To move on. To grow. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And there's a lot of people who have heard the Word of God who have no faith. So how could that be true? The whole congregation of Israel says they heard the Word of God. It didn't benefit them at all. No benefit. No faith. Well, then how can faith come by hearing the Word of God then? Well, there's hearing the Word of God and then there's hearing it. It's embracing it within us. You know, have you ever had somebody talking to you? Like sometimes Kate will be talking to me and all of a sudden she'll say, are you listening to me? And I'll say, that happens, you know, it happens to everybody. And I'll say, you know what? I heard you, but I, I really wasn't paying attention. The Bible says we ought to pay the more, more earnest heed or more, more earnest attention to the things that we have heard. It's one thing to hear it with our ears, but it's another thing to hear it and pay attention, to really to hear what it's saying, to pay attention to it. And, and I'll have to say, no, you're going to have to repeat it again. I, really, I, I heard it with my ears, but you know, it didn't register because I wasn't really paying attention. And so we can hear the Word of God, but it doesn't do us any good. And there's no faith. Unless we take heed to it, we, we pay attention to what it's saying. We embrace what it's saying. This is the Word of God, and I'm listening, and I'm hearing, and I'm attentive to it. Then we're hearing it. And the Word of God will cause us to grow. Grow in faith. Grow in mature. Grow in our walk. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Move on to maturity. <clears throat> Not be satisfied at all with where we're at. Dave was talking this morning about desiring a closer walk from that hymn. Just a closer walk with it. I think that if we're really in tune, that's where our heart's always going to be. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. We hunger and thirst for this closer relationship with God, to know Him more, to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death. Yes, we desire more of Him. We desire to be close to Him. And that desire uh, should be a fire in us. The fire within. To know Him more. To grow in Him. And that fire is not something we put there. It's something that God puts in us. But we can resist it. 
We can resist the Spirit of God. Or we can embrace His leading, His calling, His direction. I'm going to stop there. As I listened to God's Word exposed, um, shared with us today, um, <clears throat> it's kind of like we sit here and we hear what we ought to be like. Um, um, I, I'm thinking about what are the hindrances and what is the way. Um, the hindrances can be that maybe, you know, Jesus, there's a place where Jesus said, I thank you, Father, heaven and earth, that you've hid these, you've hid these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes. So there's a little key there. Uh, you could say, or maybe not just a little key, a, a, an important key to where we need to find ourselves before God. Um, it says uh, here that uh, Jesus was exalted above every name, that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. But it says this about him in chapter 2 of Philippians. <clears throat> Am I loud enough for everybody to hear? Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah you don't get it. Okay. Uh, it says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. It seems like as I look back and I think about how Jesus conducted himself, what all he had been through as a human being, the first thing he always did is humble himself, it seems like. Mm -hmm. And it seems like our inclination as human beings is to put ourselves among the wise and prudent instead of humbling ourselves and say, Lord, I, I just don't understand or know how to deal with this problem. But one thing that also I felt like just late, just as late, God spoke to me, uh, you know, he speaks to us when we have problems. <laughs> There's no point in speaking to us if we have no problems to work, with, work through. But we have problems to work through. And it came like this in Hebrews chapter 4, to labor to enter into rest. For he that has entered into rest has ceased from his own works. So, <clears throat> okay, I have a problem. 
and maybe I'm a little upset. And I have some, in that upsetness, I start having uh, thoughts about what's wrong with this person or the situation and what sh how it should be dealt with and all that. But <clears throat> what I need to have happen then is my thoughts need to go labor to enter the rest. Because while I'm in that frame of mind, what comes out of me isn't really from God. It's from my flesh. So <clears throat> learning to walk with God, learning how to fulfill God's will in my life comes from quieting myself, coming into rest, and waiting to hear from God. What is? What should I do here, Lord? You know that person. You know this situation. You know whether it's time for it to be dealt with or not, or what should be said. <coughs> it's really an important matter here. I saw that, and, and uh, yeah, we can go on through life, and then I, like, 55 years ago, I gave my heart to Jesus. I should be further along than I am, shouldn't I? But it has to do with how I dealt with life situations. Did I wait on God? Did I wait on the Lord shall renew their strength? Did I wait on God? Or did I just move ahead and say, this is what God's word says, and this is how we deal with it? You know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> we, we can so easily build something around God's word, but not the Holy Spirit moving mm -hmm. to do it in the right time and the right way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Amen. And I really need help there. And that's what my heart is working on. Lord, I want to just wait and listen. Well, I see those problems. But you better be careful. You can tackle that in the wrong way. Amen. So I just, I want to encourage all of us. Let's try, you know, it says in other places, I was, we were talking about this morning, in other places it says be angry and sin not. Well, <clears throat> someone says to me, it means don't get angry and don't sin. I said, no, it doesn't mean that. Because listen what it says. It says, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. If you don't get angry, you don't have to worry about the sun going down upon your wrath. <laughs> right. So, if we take labor to enter into rest, be angry and sin not, not let the sun go down upon your wrath, they flow together as one thing mm. and they all each one each part supports the other for the same cause so that what happens my response and the way I did do things is death to my flesh and alive to the spirit so that spirit can work the one thing that caused Moses not to go into the promised land was he got angry. And he sinned. 
He didn't do what God said. Sinning is disobeying God. So, let's just really pray for each other that we understand this point. We're not, we're not dealing, we're not called to deal with things on our own. We're called to listen to God. So that he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's not, I will build Dan Beach's church or anybody else, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, Lord, we want to do your will. And I need to humble myself just like Jesus. He humbled himself from the start to the finish. He was born in the manger and he humbled himself all the way through. <laughs> all the way through his life. He, he dependent on God. <laughs>